Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 12th day of December 2022. Getting really freaking close to the end of the year. Christmas time, all that good. Boxing day for those of you in Canada, which I never really fully understood. What is that, just like packing up your crap? I'm not sure. Kind of proud of not knowing. Anyway, welcome to the show. Check out everything at patreon.com slash Podcast or at DerekHunter.Locals.com. It's where you get all the good stuff, the inside dope, and enter to win the contest. This week's contest was Donald Trump versus Peter Thiel, The Battle of the Billionaires. An autographed book by both of them were put up by moi. What came of that? Who won which book? And who will be back for next week? Or this week, I guess. Uh, You'll have to uh, wait till the end of the program to see. But we can't get to the end of the program until we get to the start of the program. So let's start the program. There's a lot going on, as always. We've got um, we got some, Jim Jordan just committed an absolute murder. <laughs> absolute. Uh, verbal murder is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we will uh, I'll play you that for you. And it's not in its enti- well, in its entirety, but edit it up for commentary. But you got to talk about what everybody seems to be thinking is this massive revelation. And this is part of why, and I get it, I'm cynical. I get it, I'm cynical. But it is, um, conservatives are obsessed with it. It's like you went back, in a lot of, look, Twitter's different now, okay? Revel in the fact that Twitter is different now marinating and rolling around in previous discrimination on Twitter is no different than what leftists do in the grievance industry. It's like you want to get in on it. Oh, oh that was banned. Everybody hates me. Everybody. Congratulations. Okay, I've been shadow banned. for. I was shadow banned until uh, for about a year and a half until Elon Musk took over. It's weird because my, my follower count would go up regularly. And then for a year and a half, it stayed the same. It didn't matter what I did. But I was on TV. I was on Sean Hannity's radio show one time where it came up. And I said, you know, I've been shadow banned. And hey, everybody. And, and so they said, well, follow, follow Derek, blah, blah. And my follower count went up by about 1,000 that day. And then by the next day, they were all gone. I hadn't said anything wildly offensive although i am known to do so i didn't say anything wildly offensive or anything it's just twitter goes no we don't want that and so it automatically unfollows you uh, unfollows people because there are certain people they don't want to to have as wide of a reach not that i'm you know something special none of these people are something special although most of them seem to think they are but i just you know what are you going to do what are you going to do you wait for something to change. You wait for something to break. You don't change your behavior. You don't change your behavior at all. I never changed my behavior. Not for the attention and affection of some leftists or to appease them. Hell to hell with them. I don't really care. So I stayed at the same 
follower count, no matter what, I things would happen. They'd go up by a couple hundred, and oh, maybe it's cheap. And then they go right back down the next day. Well, since Elon Musk took over, I've been gaining about 100 followers a day. Without fail. Just boom, every day, just another one, another one, another one. Slowly but surely inching back up the mountain. And like, all right, I didn't feel the need to nail myself to the cross before. I don't nail myself to the cross now. I don't claim to have hero status. Now it's just boom. That is what it is, what it is, what it is. Other people are sitting there seemingly dying. Well, they monetize it. Oh, I'm a victim. I'm, I'm a pepper. He's a pepper. She's a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? And they don't shut up about it. The real thing is about what you do going forward, not what you did in the past and how big of a victim you were. Many people will sit there and go, I was bad because I'm, maybe it's because you're uh, an a-hole. Huh? I mean, that's always a possibility. I was many times. I ticked off all the wrong people if you care about getting attention on social media i ticked off all the wrong people because that was that's what i do i see somebody on the left tweet something that is wrong or asinine or whatever and i correct them in a less than polite manner i'm comfortable with that they complain you get the complaint filed complaints were filed oh we didn't violate your terms of service and you go on with your life but every once in a while, you recognize that, hey, these people are well-connected to the people inside Twitter, and they're going to start throttling what I do. You have a choice. You either keep doing it because it's the right thing to do, or you change, or you just run around screaming like you're a victim, like leftists train people to do. It's the currency on the left. God forbid what would happen to this country if being a victim becomes currency on the right. And it's all coming to light now. And I didn't know while I was sitting there going, eh, what are you going to do? I don't care. I'm going to keep doing what I do. I didn't know that Elon Musk was going to decide to drop $44 billion and buy Twitter and then expose the whole thing and change everything. And thank God he did. Weird Things have a weird way of working out for the best. But the news, oh my goodness, they're banning Twitter. They're, they're, they were shadow banning. They were, of course they were. The, the news isn't that these insufferable people were shadow banned. And I'll count myself in there. It's that the leftist media said, it's not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening. They wouldn't do that. It is a violation of the terms of service. This is why you're being shadow banned. If you're being shadow banned at all and people are banned because you're violating the terms of service, blah, 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 blah. They all barked it out in unison like they're those dogs that do the uh, the jingle bells okay great now you know that you're wrong what have they done how have they reacted well they reacted in the way you'd expect them to react by denying it and rewriting history that's the problem not that any conservatives or pseudo conservatives or narcissists were shadow banned on twitter it's that now suddenly they've gone from nobody's banning anybody over politics to, but you, you deserved to be banned because of what you were doing, what you were saying. And everybody knew that you were being banned all along anyway. Tom Nichols on Twitter, leftist MSNBC contributor. The big reveal about Twitter moderation is a classic death 
of expertise moment. People who didn't know about something until now assume not knowing about it meant it was a huge secret. Oh, yes, everybody knew about this. Everybody knew about this. <laughs> Ashley Feinberg, writer, used to be Huffington Post. Now I can't say so. This has literally been on Twitter's help page since at least 2018. They've been insisting it wasn't happening. It never happened. In fact, Twitter executives testified as such. We don't shadow ban based on politics, but they did. They did. Okay. Another journalist, Barry Weiss, is literally in the middle of a breathless Twitter files thread describing Twitter implementing the exact policy that Elon Musk said he was going to institute three weeks ago. Now, what was that policy? Elon Musk said, new Twitter policy is freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach. Negative hate tweets will be max deboosted, demonetized, so no ads or other revenue to Twitter. You won't find the tweet unless you specifically seek it out, which is no different from the rest of the Internet. Okay, that's different. It's about hate. But you see, to the left, conservatism is hate disagreeing with them is hate. They are the spoiled child who insists that they get their way, that they get the toy they want, or otherwise they're going to call child protective services. That's the difference. That's the revelation. Not that conservatives, they're out, I've seen a couple of these jerks going, oh, I've been a victim. Oh, but I'll really continue to stick it to it. Really? You're here. It's a whole new world, right? They're not sticking it to you anymore, right? You, 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 won or whatever. Elon Musk. No, no, I'm gonna stick it to him. You really want to stick it to him if you're so damn popular and it's about you and not the ease of you. Leave the platforms. I dare these people to leave the platform. Facebook is terrible and awful. Make sure you like my Facebook page, though. Right? Twitter is a god-awful demon spit. But follow me on Twitter, if you don't mind, while you're out there, and check that out. Google is a monster. But uh, sign up to my YouTube page, if you don't mind, if I do. <laughs> okay. Um, you got to have a little bit more respect for these left-wingers at these tech companies, because at least they have principles. You know, they got that going for them. But the real outrage is the lies that the left-wing media told about this. That the left-wing, they circled the wagons around these social media companies. They were given favored treatment. I bet you if you went through the contacts of every one of these so-called journalists purporting to say, well, this is not a big deal. I don't, this is known to everybody for years and years and years. I bet if you go through the emails at Twitter of the people who were making these decisions, who decided to ban people, I bet you'd find emails from these people. I bet those emails wouldn't be, hey, what are you doing for lunch today? Although there would be some of that. It is, have you seen this account? This guy said something mean to me. This person is a right winger and they're, blah, they're spreading hate. I bet you, you would find, just like if, uh, like after the Berlin Wall fell, there were a whole bunch of people in Germany very, very, very nervous. Why? Because of the horrible, horrible freedom that was about to rain down upon them? No. They were very nervous that one day the files from the Stasi, the East German secret police, would be 
released, that people would get their hands on that information and they would find out that, you know, maybe maybe little Timmy down the hall ratted on somebody who has disappeared. Maybe they said, hey, uh, uh, you turned in my mother or my father for having impure thoughts. There'd be records of that. It's the same sort of thing. That's why you're seeing these sort of nothing to see here, old news, don't bother looking at it, because sooner or later when you dig down through the, what I have to assume are, there are tens of thousands of employees at Twitter. Yeah, I got to assume that they're sending a ton of emails. There have to be millions upon millions of emails. Keyword searches will get you things. Certain searches for emails will get you things, but these things are being released on Elon Musk's timeline and nobody else. Nobody else is. But sooner or later, you dig down deep enough, you will get to the Ben Collins from NBC News saying, hey, this right winger needs to be watched. A little bit dangerous. You need to maybe put him on a list, maybe need to blah, blah, blah. And you'll find the Taylor Lorenz email saying, this person, these people are threatening, they said mean things about me, they said that I'm stupid and uh, and not smart and and, and not attractive. You know, the normal email response would be to that is, but where are the lies? But, you know, I bet you it impacted policies. I bet you you will find that these leftist journalists will end up being Timmy down the hall telling the Stasi that Mr. Johnson at the other end of the hall was extolling the virtues of capitalism to his cat the other day and he needs to be re-educated or whatever. That's the story here. Not that pseudo-professional victims who happen to be conservative were victims. It's the lies that we were all told repeatedly and the news outlets who gleefully regurgitated them while likely probably helping facilitate them in the first place. That's the story that won't get covered because these people will be jumping up and down going, look at me, look at me. I knew that they were coming to get me. That's how important I am. Subscribe to my newsletter. No, no, I'll stick to the, I can find the truth on my own. Recommend everybody else do the same. But in other news, there is world in, uh, news in the political world, and it's being treated as a huge shock that Kirsten Cinema, senator from Arizona, has decided to leave the Democrat Party. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, getting your hopes up, going, what, what? You mean that'll put the Senate back at 50-50? No, she's not joining Republicans. And in fact... She will still caucus with Democrats, which means the Senate makeup will remain exactly the same, 51-49. But it is uh, interesting from a perspective of, look, she is, Kirsten Sinema is a progressive. She is. She's a Democrat. She's also not progressive enough. She's not Democrat enough. She is the perfect personification of what I always say, that your 99.9% friend is your 100% enemy if you are a left-wing Democrat. It's just that simple. That's how the world works. 
she's on board with almost everything they want to do, but not everything they want to do. And so what did they do? They attack her. They follow her into the bathroom, famously. Remember that? They followed her into the bathroom. They have screamed at her in her class. She teaches at uh, Arizona State University as well. She teaches a course, not like she's a professor. But they've followed her to her house and picketed and protested and screamed outside of her residence and all of this stuff. And you just sit there and you go, wow, how long is she going to put up with this crap? And it turns out, you know, this long. (laughs) She's done. Except she still believes in all of this stuff. Her arguments with, and you need to be reminded of this, the arguments that she had with the Democratic Party over the filibuster were not over the pieces of legislation that they wanted to ram through with 50 votes plus the vice president breaking the tie. They were not based upon opposition to, say, court packing or opposition to whatever, really opposition to any. It was she didn't want to change procedures. She recognized that, like, well, I mean, you don't even need to recognize, you don't have to be that smart. You just look back at recent history, back when Harry Reid changed the rules of the filibuster in the Senate for nominees for for the courts. Republicans, Mitch McConnell went to the floor and said, you're going to remove this thing for everything but Supreme Court justices. The day will come when things are different. Republicans are in charge and you will regret this decision. Don't do it. Don't do it. You'd be stupid to do it. He was arguing for the institution of the filibuster, not his eventual power to put three people on the Supreme Court. And Harry Reid and the Democrats said, pish posh, nothing to see here. Who cares? That day will never come. And then the day came. In fact, the day came three times (laughs) under Donald Trump. It was a beautiful, glorious thing. That day came three times. Harry Reid was still alive. He lived long enough to see the fruit of the tree he planted. And then he went to hell. Then he went down to hell. But up until then, he lived long enough to see it. You're warned something would happen, and it did. Kirsten Sinema is saying she doesn't want to change the filibuster because one day, should have been this year, but Republicans really fielded horrible candidates. Um, Someday... Democrats will be in the minority and Republicans will be ramming through. Now, it wouldn't matter all that much right now because the president of the United States would just veto it. Joe Biden would be told to veto it and he'd veto it. But eventually it would matter. You veto that and you're not going to say, well, we'll change the rules of the Senate. No, you can't change the rules for overriding a veto. That is in the Constitution. As much as Democrats would like to do that and like to just set that parchment on fire completely, and they do so in in many respects, they can't get rid of that. They simply cannot. They might try to pass a constitutional amendment, but it's doubtful because they don't like to acknowledge the Constitution. So Kirsten Sinema moving to independent but still caucusing with Democrats will have no practical effect on the way the Senate operates. It is interesting and it gives us more fodder to say, you know, the Democrats are so insane that, you know, a progressive bisexual senator from Arizona doesn't even feel welcome in the party anymore. But that's about it. 
Democrats hated her. In fact, she announced, she released a video. I'd play some of the video, but I frankly, I find the video pretty uncompelling. It's She doesn't say much. It's just, uh, hey, I'm doing this because I support Arizona and blah, blah, blah. But if you go through the responses, you will find massive misogyny, some racism, but mostly massive misogyny. And something that is um, scarily ignorant, scarily ignorant, and it comes to Democrats. Now, I get it. They, uh, Democrats are Democrats, and this is who they are and what they do. They are scarily ignorant on so many things. But this is just one example. Most of these accounts are anonymous. Leftists have these anonymous accounts, and they, uh, they love to, if you step out of line, they attack conservative women all the time. Like I say, though, Kirsten Sinema is not a conservative woman. I pointed out how a lot of these responses were sexist. And uh, somebody responds, sexist? No, most people are objecting to her being a backstabber who has selfishly undermined the party she was elected to serve as a progressive. The problem with that, I don't know if you know, noticed it, recognized it as I raced past it. But they say they undermined the party she was elected to serve. Senators are elected to serve a state. They're elected to, they used to be elected by the state legislature to actively, actually represent state government. They changed that stupidly in the Constitution, probably the biggest mistake made in the uh, progressive era of this country. But then they made them popularly elected, which transferred the senator's responsibility from representing the state to representing the citizens of the state, who were already all represented in the House of Representatives. But they now represent the residents, the citizens of a state, not party. Not par- The problem is too many of these people believe that they are there to represent the party and therefore it is their job to be blindly loyal to a party. Kirsten Cinema is not playing that game. She is the rare exception to this. So good for her for doing this, but ultimately it won't make much of a difference. Well, it will make a difference as she's up for re-election in 2024. She probably, considering how angry she has gotten the left-wing activist groups. I mean, they did. They followed her into a bathroom, for God's sakes. Considering how angry she got them, she would have a difficult time, if not an impossible time, surviving a primary in the Democratic Party. She'd likely win, because God knows who the Republicans would nominate. They'd find somebody really wildly horrible and nominate them and and lose in that way because Republicans are exceedingly good at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Plus, cinema has the power of incumbency. And quite frankly, she appeals to Republicans to a certain extent because she does have those principles of I'm not going to just go blindly with my party. So she would have been pretty tough to beat if Republicans didn't field a really good candidate. Republicans have shown their ability to field less than stellar candidates. And so you have this situation where she is acting in this way, probably to benefit herself, 
or that's the conventional wisdom? I would say probably not. I would say that this move, although she's looking to spare herself a challenge in the uh, primary and therefore plow her path to be able to run for re-election, and that's all fine and that's all true. And there's a school of belief that this means that as long as she continues to caucus with Democrats, Democrats won't come out against her. The national Democrats won't come out against her because all they really care about is the headcount in Washington. That's possible. But that is presuming that Democrats in Washington, D.C. are not beholden to their radical left-wing base. And I think we've proven that's not the case. That's not the case at all. So while maybe the official position of the party would be to say we're going to stay neutral in a primary, they're still going to hold a primary. They're just they're not going to not hold a primary. Somebody will emerge. They may not get the backing of the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. They probably will because it'll tick off the left. They might end up doing just the bare minimum to say that we're checking this box, whatever. There will 99% sure be a Democrat on the ballot in Arizona in 2024. Now, this is all presuming that Kirsten Sinema actually runs for re-election. She may not run for re-election. She might just look at this and go, it's not worth it. I can't stand these people or it's not worth ruining my life. But if she does... She'll get on the ballot pretty easily just through getting some signatures there. I'm not sure what all the requirements are to run as a third party, but they can't be that arduous. And she would get the same Democrat vote. Whoever the rest of the party nominated would get the insane Democrat vote because Democrats are insane. That would mean a lane for a Republican, even a bad Republican to come out and win. If you split the Democrat vote in half or any, you know, into 60-40, whatever, you split the Democrat vote enough, that opens up a lane for Republicans. So this could be a long-term good thing. I don't see it as anything other than if she wants to be reelected, she's sparing herself the possibility and potential humiliation of losing a primary. But she's ultimately opening herself up to the prospect of losing a general election, because I can't imagine, even if she's got the word of the National Democrats saying we're going to stay out of it and we're going to discourage people from running, some lunatic progressive will. It'll be too tempting. The reason that the really fringy parties don't have or, you know, exist is to run campaigns, if only just to raise awareness. The communists know they're not going to win. The socialists know they're not going to win in most places. In some places, they just run as Democrats. And in the places where they run as Democrats, they actually win. AOC and the rest of the goon squad is a prime example of this. So if you get the party's nomination, even by accident, because I can't imagine Democrats not putting or not being on the ballot, not having an access to the ballot. The primary structure is there. They have to go through the motions. Or I, I imagine it makes ballot access in the future more difficult. 
if you don't field a candidate, you just drop off the ballot in the future, and then you have to go through qualifying all over again. You do that, it becomes a mess. So they've got to allow the primary process to go forward. If the fringe of the Democrat Party has a place to go, they'll go there. They hate Kirsten Cinema because of that. My 99.9% friend is my 100% enemy mantra that they live by. So this could be, you know, look, people are getting excited about Kirsten Cinema. Maybe she's going to join the Republican. She's not going to join the Republican. She's a progressive. She's a Democrat. She is. But her move here to spare her, possibly, from a primary challenge, if she runs again, could end up, will end up, I project, on this day, mark my words, I project will end up helping Democrats or helping Republicans immeasurably. Now the question remains, will Republicans nominate somebody who can actually win? Or do they just walk, they hear Democrats go, here's the ball as they tap it over the net and then the Republican Party goes, not interested in the ball and they just whack it back over the net into the stands going, no, no, we're going to nominate somebody. Herschel Walker is now going to move from Texas where he lives, not Georgia, where he ran. He's now going to start taking, he's looking for places to lease short term in the Phoenix area or something like that. I know, it's in poor taste. It's a joke, but all good humor is based somewhat in reality. That's why that joke works. God, I really hate websites where you're like, oh, I want to go to this website. And I, hey, do you want us to send you notifications on your computer? Hell no, I don't. Hey, do you want to sign up for our newsletter? No. Hey, how about you close this? Like, if I have to do three clicks to get to your content, you can go to hell. <laughs> Uh, I'm looking at, there's big news in Hollywood. I'll just touch on this briefly because it's not really big news to real human beings. But uh, they were going to make a Wonder Woman 3, right? Wonder Woman 3, because why not? And then uh, they said, no, we're not going to do it. Allegedly, the director, Patty Jenkins, walked off the project. But the real problem is, Wonder Woman 1984 sucked. Remember Wonder Woman 1984? It's one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. It's a terrible, terrible movie in every possible way. It's not even... A lot of movies you go, well, if they probably redrafted the script script one or two more times, it could have been good. This thing was crap. It was never going to be good. So it doesn't deserve a sequel. It made the... Uh, it made the pandemic worse. Wonder Woman 1984 was released. It was going to be in theaters, but because everybody's on lockdown, they didn't do that. And so they uh, said, no, no, we're going we're gonna to release it on HBO Max. And a lot of people subscribe to HBO Max to be able to see Wonder Woman 1984. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be huge. It's going to be great. It was just terrible. It was just terrible. It made, it made COVID worse. If that's even possible, it made COVID worse. It made lockdowns worse. And so that they're not going to make a sequel. They shouldn't make a sequel to that piece of crap. What they should do is make a sequel to the first movie, which still wasn't all that great, but it was better than, you know, it was good for a DC movie. What they should do is make a new sequel to the first movie. So we can all get that palate cleanse from Wonder Woman 1984 and pretend that it never happened. That's what should happen.
But it doesn't look like that's going to happen because, quite frankly, I believe, and I've always said, and science has proven me right, that DC Comics suck compared to Marvel. It's not even close. Well, DC Comics suck. It's not even compared to Marvel. DC Comics suck. And Marvel is better. And even Marvel's starting to hit the bottom of the barrel when they're starting to make movies about people who had comic books for about 20 minutes. Instead of just, I don't know, sticking with the characters that are good and people like because they're too white or whatever, too straight. God, I need a hobby. I want to talk about this. It's one of the best bits of audio ever. Jim Jordan. Now, I'm not playing this per se because of or just because of the content. I'm also playing this because this guy, this exchange, should scare the ever-loving crap out of the White House, out of Jim Biden, Joe's brother, and out of Hunter Biden. And I suspect the left-wing establishment. So expect all sorts of attempts to, they've already had a bunch of them, but all sorts of attempts to destroy Jim Jordan going forward before he has a chance to get any of those people or get really into any kind of investigation into the Biden industrial complex. Because this exchange with a guy named Robert Schenick, he is a reverend. He's an evangelical minister. He used to be pro-life, and now he's pro-choice. Why? You can only imagine, you can only guess that maybe he wasn't all that sincere, maybe he lost his faith, or maybe maybe somebody with a Brinks truck ended up following, finding his home address. But in any event, he has alleged that, you know, as we're sitting here and we still don't know who leaked the Dobbs decision from the Supreme Court, he has alleged that Justice Alito leaked information in the Hobby Lobby case to him through a woman, through an intermediary, a woman named Gail. And you sit there and you go, huh, well, if this person is accusing a Supreme Court justice of, of leaking decisions ahead of time, that that could be scandalous. And the implication, of course, is that Alito was probably the source for leaking the Dobbs decision. Now, why would that be? What, what would be the point of that? There'd be no strategic point to that. It'd be stupid, actually. Alito wrote the opinion. But since Reverend Robert Schenick, or yeah, Schenick, I think that's the best pronunciation I'm going to get out of myself, has uh, made this allegation an implication. He's become a darling even more so of the left. He's already a darling of the left, having gone from being a pro-life preacher to a pro-abortion preacher. Well, Jim Jordan got a chance to cross-examine the good Reverend Shinnick yesterday and just destroyed, eviscerated. It's not very often you get... (laughs) A, uh, it's not very often you get a complete dismantling of somebody, just a complete dismantling of somebody, thoroughly, uh, to the bone, 
on the state. And this is why whenever there have been important congressional hearings, I've always said, boy, it would be nice if Republicans were strategic and smart and, and said, oh, I yield all of my time to Jim Jordan. But they never do it because they're all up there trying to grandstand for them. So they all think they all think they're Jim Jordan. None of them are except for Jim Jordan. None of them. See, if they just gave all their time, they, these hearings might not be worthless. Instead, you get these people going, well, I need something for my local media to report on. So I'm going to talk, take my five minutes and uh, just peacock around like an idiot. And I'll feel really good because my staff will have written me a good speech. Like This isn't the time for go to the floor of the house and give a speech if you want to give a speech. Shut your damn mouth and let the adults who are interested and capable, capable being the big part, of getting answers to questions and getting people on record, let them do the job. They never do because so many Republican backbenchers feel hell-bent to uh, demonstrate why they're backbenchers on a regular basis. Anyway... I want you to listen to this exchange because Shinnick was up there talking about how it is that he believed that uh, the leak came from Justice Alito. And so uh, what you're about to hear in these next four clips, really, it's a murder. (laughs) It's a murder of credibility. And if we had an honest media, it would be the last time you'd ever hear from this guy. But we don't. And he hasn't completely used, you can never completely use up the useful part of your useful idiot uh, label for the left. But listen, listen to this. Mr. Mr. Shank, did, uh, did Gail Wright really tell you that? Yes. Justice Alito said he didn't tell her. She said she didn't tell him. But you're sure she told you? Absolutely. Now, you wrote a book a couple of years ago. Is that right? 20, 2018? Wrote, yes. You wrote a book? Yes. Yes. Um, I want to read a section from that book. Uh, it's a section where you relate uh, you and your family were attended oral arguments at the, at the court. You were there in the courtroom, and that directly involved your brother, Paul, uh, also a reverend. Uh, and I, want to, I just want to read this, this section. You said, with the single rap of the gavel, Chief Justice William Rehnquist announced, we'll hear argument first this morning in number nine. 95-1065, Reverend Paul Shank and Dwight Saunders versus Pro-Choice Network of Western New York. Paul and I winked at each other knowing we had made history with that reverend in his name. It had been a minor victory when we persuaded the court that reverend should remain before Paul's name, even though we had been told repeatedly that legal briefs never included such titles. You thought it was important that, obviously based on what he said, you thought it was important that the title uh, Reverend B in front of Paul's name. Is that right? Correct. And why was that? Because we saw it as a religious liberty matter and that that would make it clear that it fit in that category. Well, it sounds like this guy's just simply reporting what happened in the Supreme Court proceedings, doesn't it? Oh, no, we were very super proud. We winked at each other. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We did it. We did it. They don't, court doesn't normally refer to people by their titles, but they called you reverend brother. We have made history, therefore it shall forever be on the record that this is a religious liberty case. It would be one of those moments that you would remember. Unfortunately, it's more like a moment, and at least unfortunately for him, 
It is more like a moment like Joe Biden remembers from his own life. It didn't happen, which we're about to discover. Did Chief Justice Rehnquist really say that the way I just read it from your book? Uh, I can't say that I remember. Well, you're pretty darn specific here. You got the number, case number 95-1065. Very next word says Reverend Paul Shank. You made it a big deal. Um, Thought it's the first time it's ever happened. I'm just asking, did it really happen? I wish I could tell. I would have to go back and and review that. So it may not have? Possibly not. Why do you say possibly not? You were emphatic in your book. <laughs> don't you love that? Hey, uh, did it did it happen? I uh, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Well, you wrote it in your book. You wrote not only just wrote it. It's not just a random quote. It is something where you said there's anecdotal. Like we we uh, looked at each other. We winked. We blinked. We knew we'd made history. Look at us. Look at us. Look at us. Well, did that happen or not? Well, I'm not really sure. I can't remember. Well, then why the hell did you write it in your book? What kind of fact-checking did you do in your book? I get it. You don't want to fact-check your own life because you were there. You think you can remember. But it's kind of a big deal if you're sitting there saying you made history. Well, thank God. Thank God. This idiot doesn't know what's about to hit him. Maybe he's getting a little spidey sense tingling that he he has an inkling of what's about to hit him. But I don't think he understands uh, the full force uh, with which he is about to be hit because this is Jim Jordan is a fully armed and operational space station. It is a fully armed and operational Jim Jordan. Well, you can you can hear the credibility spring a leak and start uh, deflating. I would have to go back. Well, we did go back. We did go back and I got the transcript right here. Proceedings, 10.05 a.m., Chief Justice Rehnquist. We'll hear argument first this morning in number 95-1065, Paul Shank and Dwight Saunders versus Pro-Choice Network of Western New York. Did you hear it? I did. Was there a word missing? Uh, Title, Reverend. Yeah, wasn't in there. In your book, you said it was a big deal, so much so that you winked at your brother. Did you wink at your brother? Yes. What'd you wink for if it wasn't in the title? Well, it was our case. But you, but that's not. You said you winked because they included Reverend in the title, and the transcript says Mr. Rehnquist didn't. Perhaps not. Perhaps court reporter get it wrong. Did he say it? The court reporter get it wrong. <laughs> you, can hear, uh, you know, we winked at each other because of this. Oh uh, well, why'd you wink then? Because we just established that didn't happen. Well, we winked at each other because it was our case. No, you see, when you're sitting there in the Supreme Court and you know your case is going to be called before the court, you're not surprised when your case is called before the court. It's not like, you know, everybody who's got a case before the Supreme Court this term has to show up every day because you never know which day your case is going to be called up. And so for weeks on end, you're just kind of sitting around, milling around in the gallery there at the Supreme Court, and then suddenly... By surprise, like like your number was drawn out of a hat. They go, oh, we're going to do this case now. Oh, wow, there we go. And you wink at your brother. No, that's not how it works. They're, they're scheduled pretty far ahead of time so that, you know, the lawyers would be there and would uh, be prepared. So his idea, well, no, I, I, in the book, we winked because we'd done it. We'd set this precedent. 
And then it turns out you didn't. So did you wink? Oh, yeah, totally, because it was our case. That doesn't hold water at all. Now, did the court reporter screw it up? See, I bet Mr. Shank, and I've been mispronouncing his name, I bet Mr. Shank was kind of going to hold out hope and the leftists were going to hold out hope that, well, you know, transcripts are transcripts. Sometimes they're cleaned up because sometimes transcripts are cleaned up. Hell, after every time Joe Biden speaks, they've got to have somebody come in and clean that transcript because, quite frankly, Joe Biden doesn't speak in coherent language anymore. So they've got to come in and, and remove all the gaffes, and they do it. They you know, the serve pro for the transcripts like it never even happened. But unfortunately for Mr. Shank, he's dealing with Jim Jordan. And so this happens. Well, we got the audio, too. I'm going to play that for everyone to hear. We'll hear argument first this morning, number 95-1065, Paul Shank and Dwight Saunders versus Pro-Choice Network of Western New York. Reverend, did you hear that? I did. Was there a word missing that's different from what you put in your book? A title, yes. What was that title? Reverend. Reverend was not there. Right? Did you wink at your brother? I think I did. In fact, I think I actually oh, wow. hooked him. So now you got more details. You got the key detail wrong, what you were writing about in your book, but now you remember an additional detail. You not only winked, you, not, you, you elbowed your brother. I think Even I though the reason for the wink in your writing was the fact that Reverend was using the title, something that had never been done, but it wasn't used. But we're supposed to believe you today. We're supposed to take your word over Justice Alito's word. We're supposed to take your word over a lady who gave you dollars, donated to your cause, Miss Gail Wright. You're disparaging her name, Justice Alito's name, and the court. And you, you have this, which obviously didn't happen. We got the transcript. We got the audio. But you made it a big deal in your book. One thing I've learned, people who mislead folks on small things mislead them on big things. And you know what? You can, you can lie in a book. That's not a crime. You can lie to the New York Times. That's not a crime. But when you come in front of Congress... And you say things that are not true, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, this guy is the one who set the left-wing media afire going, oh, I was told by Gail Wright that uh, she was leaked the information about the Hobby Lobby case by Justice Alito himself. So there's a good possibility by implication that Justice Alito is the one who in fact leaked the Dobbs decision months before it came out. It's attempted character assassination of Justice Alito. It is also an attempt to throw off, I assume, investigators, if there is, in fact, an investigation going on, uh, off the path of whomever may have and likely was the real leaker. It is nefarious on many levels. This guy went to the New York Times and said, I've heard from somebody that Alito had leaked the uh, Hobby Lobby decision. That was all that mattered. Everybody, Justice Alito, released a rare statement denying that any such leak ever occurred in the Hobby Lobby decision. Absolutely emphatically saying, no, it did not. Not unambiguously, not going, no, uh, something is misconstrued, miscommunicated. Nope, it was unambiguous. Gail Wright, same thing. This conversation never happened. I never told Reverend Shank anything of the sort. Yet the media reported it. As fact. They reported it as fact. At least his version as fact. That, oh yes, this conversation happened with at least with him and, and Gail. And yet basics, 
basics. This guy doesn't get the basics right. He doesn't even come close to getting the basics right. It's not a matter of degrees. It's a matter of, well, you know, they they called him father instead of reverend. No, he said X happened. X did not happen. He said he responded to X happening in a way because X happening was wildly historic. Yet we have proof that X didn't happen. Yet he still insists that the reaction to his mythical X happening did in fact happen. Why in the hell would that be? It doesn't make any sense. You're looking at a man floundering, desperately scrambling to try and maintain some semblance of his credibility and failing miserably. Will this impact future reporting on the allegations that this guy seemingly made up about Justice Alito? No, it won't. And why? Because it's Justice Alito and the left hates him, so it doesn't really matter. Journalism today, ladies and gentlemen. I want to touch on this because, I mean, this is something that shouldn't surprise anybody, but it should disgust everyone. And a lot of stuff falls into that category these days, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Newsweek magazine. Soaring inflation didn't stop U.S. Senators Mike Rounds, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Chuck Schumer from shelling out taxpayer money on private air travel last fiscal year. Isn't that lovely? For private air travel. Now, we already subsidize everything that they do as far as travel and what have you. That's who they are now, they, they game the system. They go home back and forth. Now, if you travel for work, you you get reimbursed for it. So there isn't really anything wrong with that per se, but their job is to be in Washington. You always hear them complain. I have to maintain two residencies. No, you don't. You don't have to take the job, right? You don't have to go to Washington. Washington, D.C. is one of the most expensive places in the whole wide world to do you don't have to go. You volunteered. You you actively can't. It's not even volunteer. You actively campaigned for this job. Got somebody like here in Maryland, uh, David Trone. He doesn't have to maintain two residencies. He doesn't even show up to work. And he gets reelected. Because why? Because so many of the voting population is just a bunch of dumb people. Guy hasn't been in his office, hasn't opened up his district offices in two years. Nobody should, everybody's working remote. Yeah, right. Government workers working remote. Government workers already means they're not working too hard. And then working remote on top of that as a government worker, forget about it. And Trone is, okay, well, let's just reelect that guy. Why? Because, because why not? Because party ID, because of brand loyalty, because of, frankly, stupidity. If we just be honest, just stupidity. At least Trone isn't, well, I'm sure he's, I guarantee you, look, You'll never meet anybody as cheap as somebody who's rich. You just won't. Now, there are very generous rich people. It's not to say there there aren't very generous. But the people you meet who are cheap, nine times out of ten, which means that one time out of ten, there'll be somebody who's not rich. But nine times out of ten will be somebody who is wealthy. They just will be. And you sit there and the old joke is, well, people don't get rich by spending their money. People don't get rich by giving their money away. Yeah, okay, that's fine. But to sit there, I promise you David Trone is worth like $100 million or maybe a billion dollars. He owns a, a big business, a wine business. 
Um, he's worth a fortune. I bet you he writes off and gets reimbursed for every one of the miles that he drives to work. I promise you, when he goes, to, when he used to go to work. He lives in Potomac, Maryland. He lives in a mansion in Potomac, Maryland. Drives to downtown D.C. It's about an hour away, but it's really only probably 25, 30 miles. Tells you how screwed up traffic is around D.C. But I bet you on his taxes, oh, no, not on his taxes, but on his, uh, his expense report, he puts down the mileage and he gets paid not only for the mileage, but the wear and tear on it. You and I couldn't do that. You drive to work. Well, that's part of expected to you. You drive to work. I also promise you that if I had to bet, David Trone likely writes off on his taxes the part of his mansion that he uses for his congressional office. It's a business, legitimate business expense. And I bet you he entertains it. He uses, I, I would guess he writes off a lot of what goes on at his home and uh, the cost of his home. For himself, because, well, that's what politicians do. Anyway, the trio, meaning Mike Rounds, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Chuck Schumer, Democrat leader and Democrat from New York, and then Mike Rounds, Republican from the, uh, I think it's South Dakota. These people are something to be, yeah, it is South Dakota. The trio accounted for most of the $1 million that lawmakers spent on charter flights from October 2021 through September 2022. It's good to be the king. Mel Brooks was definitely, definitely right about that. According to Newsweek analysis and newly released congressional spending records, fewer than a dozen senators fueled the spending. A million bucks. Fewer than 12 out of 100. I suppose, you know, 12% of people taking advantage of it. You'd look at that and you go, these are supposed to be public servants. None of them should take advantage of it. But that's just not the way that the world works. But fewer than a dozen, I suppose that's good. The vast majority of Congress's upper chamber did not fly charter with public funds, expenses that were also significantly lower in the House. Rounds a Republican racked up $380,000 in airfare, primarily by commuting multiple times a month to Washington, D.C. from his home state of South Dakota. Now, they can pretty much do whatever the hell they want. I've worked in the Senate. I've seen this firsthand. They can if they want to. Most don't. And you can say, well, there are no direct flights from South Dakota. Okay, so what? Again, you ran for this job. When my boss, Conrad Burns, Montana, there was no, there might still not be. There were no direct flights from Washington, D.C. or any of the surrounding airports to Montana, particularly Billings, where he lived. So it was a pain in the butt. You'd have to fly through either Denver or uh, Minneapolis, I think it was, to get out there. Theoretically, he could have chartered a plane every once in a while. He never did. He never did. He was just a simple kind of guy who, like, yeah, well, this is what you got to do. This is what you it's, There's part of a generation that sadly we're losing where they're just like, well, this is, this is what you got to do. This is the cost of business. Now it's a sense of entitlement. I'm entitled to this. I can do it. Because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. Sadly, far too many in the political class in both parties, they look at a situation and go, why? I can do this. Let's do it. That's the only way to explain how you can rack up $390,000 in charter flights. Is going, I don't, I don't feel like transferring planes. I could get there. 
in two hours of flight time or in four hours with a, a change of plane. I don't want to do that. So I'm going to pay for the other. I'll pay for it out of your own pocket. I don't care. Put us on the hook at something else. Now, worse still, the uh, Democrats, Gillibrand and Schumer, both from New York, paid $390,000 combined for flying across the state to hold press conferences, meet with constituents, and make other public appearances. They also do, yeah, they do this in-state too. They, they get these little... Now, most of the time, these aren't luxury, you know, jetliners, Gulf Streams, or anything like that. They're little puddle jumpers. But so what? Make your plans. I'm going to be on one end of the state, and then this group wants me to speak on the other end of the state. Prioritize. Say, I can't do it because I'm going to be on the other end of the state. Instead, they go, you know what? It'll be official business. Let's just charter a small plane. It's good. How many times have you said, boy, howdy, I want to, I'm down in the eastern shore, but I'd really like to be in the western part of Maryland. For There's a party. Uh, I don't feel like driving five hours to get there, but you know what? I just charter a plane. Most people probably don't do that because we don't have that kind of money. But when it's somebody else's money, boy, howdy, just imagine the life you could lead if you had access to somebody else's credit card. I always said... I would be one hell of a philanthropist if I had access to somebody else's bank accounts, everybody else's bank accounts. Well, on top of being one hell of a philanthropist, if I had the taxpayer's credit card and general government's credit card, I'd also live pretty well, too. Most people would. The difference is, I admit it, most people would admit it. These politicians will sit there and tell you how they're working for you as they're sitting there ripping you off for them. All righty, that's about enough for today, don't you think? That's enough to get you started on a Monday, I would say, except for, oh yeah, that's right. You need a winner. You need a winner of which book and what to do. And I got to tell you, I, uh, let me make sure this one is signed. All right, because I've come up with a foolproof way. The winner this week won the Peter Thiel book. I kid you not. Somebody, I, I you know, There are some people, maybe they don't like Trump, maybe they have Trump books already, whatever, but uh, the winner of the autographed book, the version of Zero to One, signed by both Peter Thiel and Blake Masters, is, I'm going to butcher this last name even though I took German, Gail Schurman. Schurman, Schurman, maybe it's Sherman, but it's just spelled in a very German way. Whatever the case, Gail, you've got a message from me in your uh, inbox somewhere. Find it, reply to me with your email address, and uh, you shall have uh, your book sent out to you. Since I want to give this Trump book away before Christmas, I thought, well, I could put up something that nobody really wants or nothing anybody should really want. So I'm going to put up a copy of my own book against it. It's not even signed yet. Uh, it's one of the few left. I don't have very many of these books left. I could like buy more, but I get them for what I don't even know. I don't even know if my my uh, publisher would get them for me now. But uh, I'll put up a copy of my own book that I will sign should somebody be dumb enough to want it. And and just wait because it'll be like the next one. Everybody go for Trump this week. How's that? But uh, it'll be me, and I'll write whatever the hell you want me to write in it or nothing at all. I'll draw you a little picture. You decide. 
and it's against Donald Trump. So the billionaire versus the billionaire, if fractions of a penny were currency, then tradable. And what, I guess maybe Bitcoin. Well, not real Bitcoin, but all the other stuff. Anyway, Outrage Incorporated versus Time to Get Tough. I had to look at the thing. It's over on my bookshelf. Time to Get Tough versus Outrage Incorporated. This week and this week only. That way this book will get to somebody for Christmas. It can be under somebody's Christmas tree. So uh, there you go. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast to enter or DerekHunter.locals.com to enter. Good luck. May the force be with you. And let us start off another week as we inch toward vacation. Well, holiday time in any event. I'll explain what's going to happen then on this show. At a more appropriate time. The curse show will always be there. So that, that was the deal I made. That was a promise I made. So barring something extraordinary, which I hope doesn't happen anytime soon, that will be there. But uh, I'm going to take a week off during Christmas. But there'll still be new... And of course, if something happens... I'll be, you don't need to know this crap. If something happens, though, I'll be back. But that's not now. You don't need it. Have a great Monday. We'll be back on Tuesday to do it all over again. Gail, check your messages. Find me. Send me back your address. See you tomorrow.